Transport for the North podcast. Hello and welcome to the Transport for the North podcast. I'm your host, Gemma, and as always, I'm joined by my delightful colleague, Stephen. How are you today, Stephen? I'm very good, thanks, Gemma. Excellent. I hope your uh, your December has started off well. Have you got an advent calendar? Uh, I don't have an advent calendar, no, I'm afraid. Shocking, absolutely <laughs> shocking news, that. Um, okay, so uh, what's happening on the podcast this time round? We have got the latest news from Parliament. So um, big news over the last uh, week or so with regards to the uh, spending review and also the Green Book review. Stephen will give us all the latest on that. Uh, we've been busy hosting our Community Rail and Rail User Group Conference, a really fantastic event bringing rail industry together with rail users and community rail groups. So we'll hear all the news from that. And we have also got a special interview for you with Tom Key, who is the CEO of Passenger. They are a um, data solutions and technology uh, firm really really insightful piece uh, from Tom all about uh, public transport data. So um, let's get started then Stephen with the um, the news from the Chancellor recently. What did Rishi Sunak have to tell us in the uh, what became a one-year spending review? We were expecting a comprehensive spending review, uh, we got a one-year deal, what were the uh, headlines from that? Yeah, so I think um, I think again broadly, you know, we welcome the you know reiterating the commitment to uh, you know infrastructure investments and and, and leveling up and things like that. Uh, but I think there were a few things that were, were particularly positive, uh, which was like you like you mentioned, you know, the Green Book Review, which uh, which was published on the government's response, um, and that's something you know transport for the North has been pushing for for quite a long time. You know, I think the way that transport projects are appraised just fundamentally just you know. Just, hinder investment in the north basically it means if you're already productive you get more investment to become more productive so if you're an area that's that's not as productive you're always going to struggle so a big part of what transport for north does is looking at that strategic perspective from investment so what are the economic benefits what are the wider benefits and making the case to understand what actual benefits to people and, and businesses that transport investment really do rather than kind of like a niche looking at it so anything that moves towards incorporating more of that into when decisions are made in a formal process will mean that you know we should hopefully see more schemes in the north start to go forward without having to do necessarily a big song and dance about some of the stuff it should just hopefully mean that some things that are a lot more basic will start to go through a bit more easily um, mm. But then there was um, <coughs> there was other stuff as well. So I think uh, so obviously there was there was that commitment to um, a UK infrastructure bank that should be headquartered in the north. Uh, there's some obviously we saw some announcements for rail upgrades, the speeding up of the the A66, which is a big uh, a big project. You know, in terms of improving Trans Pennine um, or links across the Pennines. Uh, so that's really really positive. And then the green stuff as well. Um, you know the, the the cash injection for electric vehicles and and things like that. So there's there's quite a lot of positives. I think naturally with us being in the north, we always want to see more. We wanted to put potentially see a bit more about um, Northern Paris Rail, a bit more you know a bit more of a commitment for that. Uh, but you know we still we are still waiting on the integrated rail plan. Uh, so we'll we'll see what we'll see what they say there. 
Yeah, I thought it was um, it was a really interesting uh, moment, wasn't it? And yeah, there was absolutely some some great news for the North in particular around the um, the Green Book review, especially. And yeah, absolutely. The point that we've been trying to to get across and, and to, to, to bring to, to real life for some time is that, you know, that sort of direct benefit cost ratio way of assessing and, and choosing which schemes to fund doesn't always work for the North because actually the schemes that we want to to to, to bring to life have got so many more wider benefits in terms of you know the economy and society and behavioral change and opportunities but that's not always recognized in the way that these appraisals take place so that was really reassuring um you mentioned npr then as there as well and obviously that was mentioned in the national infrastructure yes. strategy that was published at the same time we're awaiting the the integrated rail plan of course for kind of you know further npr funding news and development um for that and, and other rail as well um but the other thing that i uh i wanted to mention in regards to the um chancellor's announcements was um the there was a mention of the a66 um which is a really strategic roads route um for us and the you know the full dueling of that has been high on our radar for some time now and that's going going to be uh progressed a bit a bit quicker isn't it Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think um, I think naturally we're always cautious about any kind of road investment um, because, you know, obviously it's when you're trying to decarbonize, we do have to be careful when we're looking at road investment. But I think when it comes to congestion, you know, the, uh, there's basically only one kind of dual carriageway the whole way across and that's that's the M62. So, you know, so there's an awful lot of traffic that's on there that, that, that needs to get taken off and the A66 is obviously a good a good starting point uh, in terms of improving those road connections along there but that's why it's important to see investments in you know electric vehicle technology and things like that to make sure that you know we're not just pumping into roads you know it has a reason we still want people to move to public transport essentially but uh, you know it, we have to be realistic and know that in the short term um, it, we're not going to see that as the investment is going to you know MPI you're looking at a 20 year project even if we do decide to deliver some of it sooner and so if you look at it as a grand scheme of things you're still looking at 20 years so there are things that we can do sooner to improve those those links across the north and, and the yeah. S66 is one of them. Yeah absolutely and you know it's 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 about sustainability and uh, being multimodal isn't it because yeah absolutely roads are part of um a joined up you know fully integrated really well connected transport system you know we've got to have roads we've got to have public transport we've got to have you know active travel as part of it strong freight routes so they really do all all work together and, and again that's one of the the um key selling points of transport for the north is that as a regional uh, transport body we can actually give that bigger picture everything together multimodal how they all kind of sync up so um so what happens next in terms of um you know the kind of ne next fiscal announcement do we get a full budget at some point do we come back and review the you know revisit the comprehensive spending review at a later date what's on the kind of chancellor's to-do list for for the next few months yeah. so so normal spending reviews uh cover five five year periods or you know however much they're announced at, at the time that they come out so i think transport for the north here we we were funded for five years as a as a spending review in in 2015 so that was when when we were kind of 
set up. So naturally, I think you know we we've got uh, we'll have to see. We've seen the cookie. We'll see how it crumbles. I suppose it's probably for one of that phrase over the next twelve months. Um, you, you're not you're not vying for uh, Van Tam's crown, are you? As the king <laughs> of the metaphors. I do like a good metaphor, though. Yeah, yeah. That's how my brain works. Yeah, yeah. Ask it for any more detail, and you get lost. But no, it's um. Yeah, I think so. We're looking for you know. So so naturally, you will probably still expect um a, a potentially a budget or a spring well spring statement really, um and then uh, and then yeah we'll see hopefully you know fingers crossed we'll we'll be completely out of the out of the COVID pandemic by the time the next Ben review comes along we'll get a bit more long term stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, hopefully the vaccine's on the way. And in fact, that was one of the, the fantastic metaphors that he used the other week, wasn't it, about the um, the train pulling into the station. I really, I really did enjoy that one. Other news recently. Um, and look, just because we can't do these things in person doesn't mean that we can't do them at all. So um, online events, we'll touch on our upcoming uh, conference at the end of the show. And we've obviously been hosting those TFN talks over the summer. Um, but our most recent online event was the Community and Rail User Group event. Uh, there was around 100 people uh, came together online, um, hosted by rail journalist Tony Miles, and it brought together rail industry um, experts, speakers um, with those community rail and um, rail user groups to look at the kind of the future of rail in particular and again I think there was a a strong focus on um, the the pandemic and coming out of that on the other side and there was also um, a presentation from Porterbrook on their new trials of hydrogen technology which is really interesting and so um, we've got some clips from that event We'll play a few of those uh, for you. If you do want to find out more, there is some further detail um, and there's some video from the event as well on our website at transportforthenorth.com. But yeah, here's here's some clips. So as as well as uh, David Hogarth and Brian Barnsley Barnsley and Karen Hornby, can I uh, welcome uh, Lucia Majeski-Kent from Transpennine Express. Good to see you. I think it was probably a year ago since we last met. Uh, Carolyn Watson from Northern. Carolyn, have you got a camera? Are you there? Ah, oh, Carolyn. Oh, I haven't met as well. Proud mother. I haven't seen her since she became a proud mother, I don't think. So, um, gosh. Um, ben yeah. Garrett is from, <laughs> ben Garrett from LNER. Uh, this is the stakeholder engagement uh, department, uh, which he leads. I meant to say, sorry, Carolyn's director of stakeholder and community engagement. Uh, uh, Lucia's part of the uh, regional development team at um, Transpanel Express. Uh, half of a duo, uh, really, aren't you? I never, you never know which one you're going to get if it's uh, if it's Lucia or Graham at times. Um, and uh, Matthew Warman, who's uh, regional growth manager for the West Coast Partnership, which uh, probably expected a better debut on the railways than, than it had, to, with um, very few months to run trains before uh, things turned a bit a bit difficult. So uh, welcome to the team. Um, uh, we've got a few questions uh, coming in, but I'll, I'll just I'll just pick one that. Um, uh, we, we thought about beforehand and, and you, you sort of have to dive in here when you feel like you, you, you've got something to say. But what part do you think community and rail user and fringe groups can play in developing rail generally? Has anyone got a different perspective or would like to add to what Brian's been saying? Um, I don't mind picking that one up. Um, Tony, I think um, it was really successful before COVID hit um, anyway. Um, it continues to be really successful. Um, it's that local knowledge 
um, caring for the local station, but it's bigger than that as well. I think it comes into the fold when it's um, helping to market local services as well and promote them and take rail further into the community. I think pre-COVID, dare I say pre-COVID, touch wood in, in the new world as things come back, I think an increasingly um, important role um, to, to sort of re-energize members of the community and outreach different segments of the community to help uh, the talks and network rail to, to further uh, promote rail um, and, and get the message out there that it's that it's back as well. And finally, I think probably that intelligence gathering as well, because I think we're, we're going to be in uncharted territory to a certain extent. Um, probably a bit of a COVID hangover with people being habitually conscious about social distancing and that sort of thing, um, especially with some of the, I suppose, older demographics as well. So it's about us, the industry, working collaboratively with Community Rail to sort of tap into how we should be pitching and, and sort of putting those messages into the community to reassure people. Thank you. Anyone else want to dive in on that? Or I'll give you, yes, Karen. Hi. So um, as part of my remit, I actually have a small community rail team. So the examples for Bolton and Blackburn are, are really close to our heart because that's things that we've been uh, involved in. I think one thing, and just to reiterate what Matt said, is how how hard the community rail partnerships work um, and how they're massive advocates of the railway. And so when we're trying to get these messages across, we, we need them. They're a massive part of what we're, you know, what we've got to do. And we've really got to encourage people to come back onto the railway. It's a great way to travel. And we all know that because we, we all travel before COVID, we all traveled on it daily. So and they may, they do, they play a massive part. They're, they're integral to what we, what we want to achieve. Thank you. Anyone else? Tony, just yes, add, uh, yeah. I, I think perhaps you could summarise it as helping build confidence, rebuild confidence. I think a lot of the great work the community rail groups have done is around uh, perhaps introducing people who haven't been as familiar or confident with using the network. Uh, that work needs to continue, but there's also probably a job with um, those people who have perhaps lapsed from using rail um, and uh, just need that confidence regaining. It, I think it, so it seems to me that it, it, building on the, the, the general thing that community rail groups have done already in trying to encourage people to, back to rail uh, as, a, as a general thing that they've been doing for years. This is the, the, the big challenge now is absolutely going to have to be uh, if, if we're going to keep these lines. And, you know, the, the, the Sunday papers have run scary stories about secret plans to, to mothball branch lines all over the country if, if things don't get better. So there's, there's going to be a, a, a real um, uh, challenge for the advocates of, of the community rail lines, particularly for people to um, to, to, to start using rail and, and trusting it, and and things I suppose like um, uh, you know um, improving station facilities. So if if uh, in uh, ten years time we're not going to be buying petrol or diesel cars anymore, and we are or using electric vehicles and moving to them, then even the smaller stations are going to have to have charging points and things like that, aren't they? Um, so. Um, Oh, I'll throw one at Carolyn. So, um, how how are you how are you seeing your um, your your stakeholders uh, uh, viewing community rather than its role, and and how how are they feeling about the, the future at the moment? Um, I mean, in terms of viewing it, absolutely vitally important, and um, I think just picking up on some of the stuff that's already been said there, um, <coughs> community rail in itself is you know such got, got such a long history, but I think particularly in our region, um, we have such strong community rail partnerships, um, other groups that we work with station adoption. Um, and it is, I think, picking up on the point that David sort of made there, 
Um, it's some of the work that's been going on already. So it's things like the dementia friendly line, it's things like the autism line and some of those projects have already been happening where um, groups have been engaging at a more local level and, and, and kind of specific level about what are the challenges. And actually it's, I was having a conversation with um, a, a company yesterday that work in the world of VR and AR and all these acronyms that I don't understand, but it looks dead whizzy and cool. Um, but we were talking about some of the things that, uh, that groups on the, on the network have done, community groups, um, to support um, or specific audiences and actually how you can then translate that um, onto a much wider scale. So I think there's a lot of learnings for us there. Um, understandably, I think people have been frustrated in, over the summer in terms of ability to get out. And I know particularly, I guess, more on the station adoption side for us where people are, are usually very much that hands-on and being down at the station. But, you know, we've just been reviewing some stuff. We, we've um, been doing some filming with some of the groups. The things that have been going on is absolutely amazing and the way people have turned out to their community using things like Zoom and actually getting broader engagement because meetings and things like that have moved online. But it is absolutely that kind of insight and intelligence from a local perspective that absolutely is vital to operators and the industry. To, to be able to kind of move things forward. I mean, I'm, I'm laughing because in the background, I've got our, our kind of marketing stuff from this time um, last year. You know, we would absolutely hope to be saying to everybody, let's go. Um, and I guess, you know, the other operators in a very similar position, we've done everything we can to be ready for that when people are ready to come back and restrictions allow. If, if David uh, Hogarth would like to just sort of lead off, picking up a few of the, the things already on on, um, on on the questions that we've had, there's quite a lot a bit about the future, um, what what we can now sort of try to, to get out of the, the Chancellor. We're, we're waiting for him to announce later on uh, some of his spending review, but um, there are quite a few questions about uh, infrastructure work, uh, the elect electrification project, the Trans-Pennine route upgrade, which... Um, gets bigger and smaller and bigger and smaller uh, depending on which month it is. Um, so, uh, looking to the future, what do you what are you um, uh, keen to see happen, and what, what do you think we we should be um, uh, making noise about to, to the people two hundred miles to the south of us? Yeah, thanks. Uh, so, I, I think uh, sort of picking up on those points, the main thing I would want to see is a pipeline of development and investment. So particularly infrastructure investment, but also you know, service development as well. But I think it's the, uh, it's the infrastructure side that has been so stop start. As you say, we've had different versions of, of schemes. I have to say there's a lot of good um, work going on to, to develop that. We, we have our investment program. We have actually a lot of good work now going on by Network Rail and the Department of Transport through their, through their program. But many of the things are in early stages of development. There's still a lot of things to be resolved around Manchester. We're working uh, closely uh, with industry on that. Leeds Station, Sheffield Station, these are all capacity pinch points across the north. And, uh, um, you know, we've, we've got big plans for this through our, our strategy. And as I say, there's some good initial work going on, but we need that converting into a long-term pipeline and we need to then plan the sort of service development and recovery around that because the other factor is these things are all you know pretty substantial pieces of work that need fitting in around the network transpennine route upgrade is a really good case in point there'll be some significant changes diversionary routes being prepared etc and, and we need to make sure all these things are integrated together and that 
you know, lead station is fit for purpose, not only for TRU, but when uh, NPR uh, comes to Leeds and HS2 uh, as well, and it all works as one integrated network. That's really going to be our, our focus as we go through refreshing our um, investment programme, um, but the sort of commitments we, we want to see are that uh, pipeline. Hopefully also on the, uh, I have to say, perhaps on the services and rolling stock side as well, that might be one of the benefits of, of franchises going, again, stop, start investment. Um, you can argue that sometimes you know, things are squeezed into too, too short a period of time. Maybe that's where we suffered partly around uh, May 18. But can we get into a more uh, long-term programme and plan where there's regular upgrades in rolling stock? That will be needed to meet the um, uh, decarbonisation plan. So... Yes, we should bank the good new rolling stock that's in there, but not, not forget that a lot of diesel is still around in the north of England. So we need to be planning now and do that on a phased basis and not have you know, cliff edge deadlines of when uh, rolling stock and uh, infrastructure have to come together. Uh, a much more phased, phased approach, but that obviously requires uh, commitment and uh, uh, investment as well as, uh, as, well as vision. So, Stephen, some really um, interesting discussions obviously taking place at that um, community rail and rail user group. What was uh, what are your headlines from that? Yeah, I mean, I think I think in general, I think the big the biggest headline is naturally just coming together and speaking to the rail user groups. I think it's something that's really important that we do. I think, you know, we often talk about our views and, you know, we're in the north and and we talk about governments and decisions being made or, or at least strategies being developed and government that's so far away from the local aspects and we feel like we've got the value to add with our understanding of the north. But of course when you get down to local rail user and, and community groups, you know, they've got a really good understanding of of their local areas as well. So just in the same way that, you know, we want to be listened to by the government, uh, it's important that we listen to uh, to local community rail groups as well um, and bringing everybody together as well. So it's not just us, like I said, we had people from TP, from Northern, from LNER, uh, Avanti West Coast. Uh, so there's lots of people there that could all have kind of a thorough discussion about, um, about you know, about rail investments and, and, and going forward and making sure that it serves people who need it and things like that. Um, I think naturally, I think one of the big parts of the discussion was obviously COVID. I think a lot of people are worried about how we're going to get people back onto back onto rail once uh, you know once we're out of the COVID. I know we've, made, we've mentioned it before on the podcast, but I think it is it is quite a big concern because I know that a lot of the statistics uh, from Transport Focus show that you know people that are using the net public transport network are quite comfortable. They do feel safe, but there's a lot of people that will have moved to the car. Uh, potentially, people's habits have changed um, and things like that. Working from home, different times of working, all of that type of stuff could have a massive impact on on how people use the transport network. Um, so yeah, so but if we, we, we do know that we do need to get people back onto rail as quickly as possible and then continue that trend that we were already seeing anyway and then see the investments in the rail network as well that we're calling for. So so yes, it was a, it was a really interesting discussion. And like I said, the, the looking at hydrogen as well, which is quite big on, on rail at the minute, you know, I've got a few hubs um, around, uh, around the north looking at hydrogen, particularly in the Tees Valley um, and the Liverpool city region. Um, but so yeah, so it's, it's it was a really good discussion. Fantastic. Um, I'm really nicely following on from that actually. Um, in terms of what you were talking about, regards to uh, the impact of the pandemic on public transport, the importance of getting information 
into passengers' hands so that they can feel safe and confident coming back to uh, the trains and the buses and the trams. Uh, we've got an interview for you now from uh, Tom Key, who is the CEO of Passenger. Um, and we sat down with him to find out all about their work in improving that customer data um, and what that can mean for people, how it's role in, in keeping passengers safe on public transport, uh, but actually making it easier um, and more sort of efficient and cost effective really for them to travel by making sure that they've got the appropriate fares data in front of them, that they know the best ticket for their particular journey. Hi Tom, thanks for joining us. Hi Gemma, thanks for having us on. Lovely to have you here. So you're going to tell us all about Passenger, who they are and what they do. So uh, give us your give us your intro. Tell us everything we need to know. Sure. OK, so Passenger is a, a technology provider in the public transport space. Um, we are quite well known for um, apps in um, sort of for bus companies and websites. Um, a lot of the, the work we do is, is really around designing kind of the, the data infrastructure that, that that goes into those apps and those websites. So yeah, it's um, it's quite a, a broad area of, of technology in terms of what we actually deliver. Um, we have a, a new product that we've launched this summer called MyTrip, which is a kind of a complement to what we've done over the last couple of years in that it's a, a, a new app for smaller operators um, all into, into one app where before we've been kind of specialising in um, apps for um, bus companies where they put their brand on it. So what we would call a kind of a white labelled solution. Fantastic. And um, now this is obviously a very interesting arena and super topical to be talking about transport data and public transport data in particular in relation to the coronavirus pandemic which had a massive impact mm -hmm. uh, on the way that that people move around so let's start to touch on the the last few months in particular but just ahead of that just give us a sort of wider sense of why the work of passenger, why this sort of public transport data space is so important, and then talk that through to us into the uh, the pandemic. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think the the work we do in the context of all of this is 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 quite critical in that we we act as a a sort of a technology partner to a lot of the more traditional public transport operators. So, um, you know, the majority of our customers are exceptional at running bus fleets and, you know, and getting all of their drivers out and running that, you know, th those networks to, to schedule and, and, and getting people where they need to be. And um, those organisations typically don't have IT departments um, within them that can then enable all of that information that they, they create as part of their network and their scheduling and, and get that out to the customers. So we we come in and you know work very, very closely with them to uh, make sure that we provide that conduit. You know, in, in 2020, um, you know, there's a, there's a really high expectation of um, information, you know, in terms of how easy that is to access. And it's, yeah, really our role in, in, the, in that picture to kind of get that information um, out from those businesses um, and into the hands of people that need to use it. And we're talking about um, scheduled networks, we're talking about real-time information, we're talking about disruptions that happen on the network, we're talking about the price, um, we're talking about 
all sorts of different um, types of users in terms of, uh, you know, people that need to access those services. You've got people that are commuting, you've got people that are accessing education, um, old, young. So, you know, from a from a product perspective, you know, our team have got probably one of the nicest and most exciting challenges ever in that we kind of have such a different, uh, you know, group of people to be building technology for. Um, yeah, it becomes quite a, a sort of, yeah, a, a huge task, but a really enjoyable one. And all of this, uh, this this data that you've referenced there, so data around prices, around timetabling, around you know how how busy a particular service might be. Tell us about the importance of that in the context of the coronavirus pandemic of the past um, six or seven months now, and how uh, how that that pandemic has affected public transport, and what your your data. Uh, can do to uh, to support those services and help keep passengers moving. Yeah, absolutely. I, I guess when 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 the lockdown happened back in in March, um, you know, it was it was such a kind of un, unknown thing. I mean, everyone was using the term unprecedented. I mean, there were there was so much of a of a okay. What, how does this affect me personally? How does this affect my work? How does this affect my colleagues and, and you know my family? And so I, I think the first couple of weeks were a bit of a shock to the system for everyone. But I think what what really happened was everyone stopped traveling. You know, so so passenger numbers went down to I think about ten percent across the board. So, you know, t the the TFN region was 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 around the ten percent um, area, and and we saw that kind of carry on all the way through throughout sort of, you know deployments throughout the UK. So we support um, customers in Cardiff. Brighton, Nottingham, all the way up into Scotland. So we were seeing the same kinds of drop-off in terms of uh, um, the, the the people that we you know still using those services. Now, obviously, that has a huge knock-on effect to the to the organisations that are running those services. You know, the the, the those fleets um, suddenly it's not economical when you've got ten percent of your customer base. So yeah, huge huge challenges very very quickly. Um, and I think what was really interesting for us was was all of a sudden um, the information that was needing to be uh, pushed out uh, to those customers, uh, to the ones that needed it the most. So that 10% that were that were still using the networks were, were your key workers. And, and you know, we all remember that that was such a big focus for quite a long time in, in, in the early days of the pandemic. Um, and really it was about designing those networks or redesigning those networks um, at pace to make sure that the 10% that needed it could actually get to those shifts um, at the hospital or whatever those kind of key roles were um, at the right times. And so there was a huge amount of work to be done um, at a time of great uncertainty to reconfigure everything, publish that data into apps, websites and open data sets so that those users could have confidence in the information they were looking at, given that it was all now very different to how it had been in the previous weeks. So, yeah, a huge amount of work um, went in, particularly from the operators. And I was, you know, incredibly impressed with how they reacted to 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 re-engineer those those networks. And I think it was really um, possibly the most agile I've ever seen, and you know, these organisations be in terms of uh, right. We're going to push something out quickly, and then we're going to change it again. Now, if you if you think about the, the the networks as a as a um, and the way that they get updated, I mean there is there is normally a, a sort of fifty six day registration period for a bus route, and it has to go through the traffic commissioner. Now, obviously, in times of uncharted water, that 
gets reduced you know you go into emergency measures and yeah straight away that time um, that lead time drops completely and what that does do is gives it gives huge flexibility to the bus companies to adapt um, to uh, you know people that their customers telling them that this service doesn't actually get me to my shift on time so can you tweak that and they can then do that really fast all of those changes are, are, are then having to go through it, the, the, the same process that potentially takes a couple of months of designing a network into a couple of days and that is then repeated and repeated and repeated so i think it's one of those that it certainly put a huge amount of pressure on but it was a testament to the the teams designing those networks and the, the technology in terms of being able to publish that data fairly easily and then through to the apps uh, that the customers were then using that kind of made that whole thing stand out. Now there were obviously holes in, in the various um, systems of real time and, and the various different data sets that were being used. Um, but yeah, it was a really interesting time to see how quickly actually people could could operate. Yeah, you, meant, you mentioned agility there and that was obviously key to be able to uh, recognize something and react. And also to do things with with new ideas and new new ways of working and uh you know the, the new normal is, is one of the other key phrases of the of the mm -hmm. pandemic isn't it i think it'll probably be one of the the phrases of the year when they do that uh, do that <laughs> review at the, at the end of 2020 and um, talk to us a little bit about how passenger um kind of dealt with what dealt with that in terms of any innovative new solutions and what what you've learned from these first six months that you're going to take forward into um new new apps or or new ways of working yeah sure i mean in terms of kind of what we were doing um we we were really starting to look at kind of how um you know the, the technology could evolve i think you know as, as a software team we are you know agile in our kind of approach you know we are i think this is probably quite an interesting kind of uh, thing to consider that you know we we don't as a team as a business um really plan that far ahead anyway so um you know that's the software is not really built with um you know very long kind of future horizons it's you know really good software is done in kind of a few months of right what do we think the world looks like how can we deliver the most amount of value to our customers so for us as an organization it wasn't a huge change of kind of our modus operandi you know this is kind of what we're doing fairly regularly anyway um so we kind of started to think about how we um adapted the the, the platform that we have and and the the relationships that we have um to um, make sure that you know we address the the uncertainty and I think you know it was really interesting for us to kind of as a team to sit down and say well how do we how do we help people that have spent um, money on a ticket um, to like save that money or get that money back because one of the, one of the big uncertainties about all of this is finances personal finances and you know and actually the impact of people saying i'd like a refund for my season ticket or my month pass is a huge amount of work for a customer service team and an operator um to refund that um that ticket or you know and go through all of those those requests so things like um ticket pausing um came into play you know our team was like well actually what what happens if we said um, anything over a, a week's worth of season pass, if you like, or you know, period pass. What happens if we just blanket pause everything and make it really easy with a touch of a button to restart if 
I'm a key worker that actually just needs to keep going. And so that was something that we we put into, you know, what we define as our, our two week sprint that came out the other end. And, you know, we spoke to some of our customers and just said, is this useful? Are we? And they were like, yeah, absolutely. That would really take the weight off of our of our customer service team. We rolled that out. And sure enough, you know, we've just done we've implemented that again in Wales as as Wales uh, in Cardiff, where Wales have gone back into lockdown. So it's something that we now have as a as a, as a as a as a part of the system that we can deploy if we need to. Um, so things like that um, have been really you know, interesting to see. I don't think we ever would have seen something like that in in a different circumstance. So it wasn't on the roadmap, but very quickly brought in. To your point about um, occupancy, I think um, that was something that was um, really interesting to see how um, the you know the the, the organisations that effectively uh, support operators, so the ticket machine manufacturers, the um, you know the, the app providers, how everyone kind of coming together so quickly and having a very shared focus to deliver something that um, actually was, I think, really we everyone felt would be really instrumental in, in giving confidence back to um, you know people returning to to public transport um, or or those that were, were were still using it. And I think you know this idea of being able to look at an app before getting on a bus and seeing. You know, how many people are actually on that vehicle and how busy it is. Um, it's really critical to kind of that, right, okay, I, I'm, I've been in lockdown for a, a few weeks, a few months or whatever it might be in isolation for a little while. I'm a little bit apprehensive about getting back out there. But by surfacing information like that, it, you know, it's, it's the sort of thing that enables that step to be taken much more easily. And I think, you know, I mentioned earlier about how, you know, we're designing, um, you know, these tech products for, a, a really broad range of users and you think about the kinds of people that you know you might have um accessing the networks i mean we you know we've got in the uk i think 20 percent of the population are registered disabled in some way so you've got all sorts of mm -hmm. other things to consider in terms of how people are feeling when they are going to return to that public transport network so i'm, I'm really excited that we were able to deliver that let's open it up a little bit tom and talk um a bit wider about open data um and the, the the benefits of that open data approach to information um transport for the north is working on the open data hub and the disruptions messaging tool uh companies such as passenger uh, yourselves are obviously working on all sorts of pieces of, of software and applications um how do these things benefit the public transport operators but also the the users and what would you kind of say to encourage transport authorities and and, and players to to get involved and to get on board with 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 this this sort of approach you know for for a good number of years i have been encouraging um the customers that i work with to uh, be open with the data that they have you know, not not commercial data but you know information about where their vehicles are and uh, you know what their schedules look like and predictions about when the vehicles are going to be in other places so certainly i'm 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 grateful to see that the regulatory stick is there because i think um that will enable all of the the data to be there and when i when i talked earlier about how you know everything needs to be there you know in 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 the ecosystem so that you know, we can build things out of it. You, you, we can't build, um, you know, effective apps that traverse, you know, A to B across an entire country if 
you know, parts of that country are not in that data set. So it really has to be everyone um, for things to be effective. Um, but I'm, I'm grateful that we work with, um, you know, all the organisations that we do, um, because they are very progressive with their views about opening this data up. And I think they understand that, um, you know, getting this information out there, making it available as, um, you know, high quality, standardised, um, open data sets means that the work that they are doing as teams is amplified. You know, and that's very much the message. So, I mean, if I if I was to encourage someone, as you as you suggested, I would say, you you can you can put all this effort in, and you can and you can just keep that information to yourself, or you could put all the effort in, and you could then it so that you know others can amplify that work. So, you know, to put that into context, if you have a control room of you know half a dozen um, people, um, you know, pushing out information about you know, a bus that's behind schedule or ahead of schedule or broken down, or if you can push that information out in a standardized way, not just to your website, not just to your app, but to, you know, all of the other products that a, a passenger uses to work out what the network looks like at any given time, um, Google Maps, Apple Maps, City Map, or whatever that product might be, then surely that is a much better use of the resource of, you know, of, of that team in terms of the time that they are putting in. If that information can go further, more people will know about it, more people will use the service, more people will trust the service. So it's amplification. It's, yeah, I, I, no one needs to worry about standards. You know, the tech guys can worry about the formats and we, we obsess about all that kind of stuff probably far too much. But to the, to the, the teams that are putting the effort in, it's about us wanting to make the most of that effort for you and really, really, um, you know, put that in the right places so that people trying to access your service um, have it, you know, just like that. Yeah, and it goes back to what you were saying before as well, how um, for, for a very short journey, you may, you know, it may just be what one bus and it's a single operator. But if you're going further afield, um, you may need to, to jump on different buses you may be crossing into the next county and therefore there's not a single ticket that gets you all the way through or you can't look up the timetable information in a single place you have to go on one website for your first bus and then check on another website for your for your second bus timetable so that yeah. collaboration that joined up thinking is really important and that's obviously something that's at the heart of what we at transport for the north do and that's the whole point of us yeah, exactly. As, as a regional body, we bring, you know, 20 local transport authorities together to coordinate. And, and this is what you're, you're um, saying here. You know, this is a similar thing with individual bus operators, with different organisations such as yourselves, with strategic bodies like TFN and our open data work and our LTA partners. And then also um, with with DFT and their sort of, you know, regulatory framework um as well that really does bring it all together and again I keep keep banging on about this but at the end of the day it's all to do with making it easier for the passenger to get where they need to go to. Yeah I mean I think absolutely it, 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 we have to keep focused on on what we are doing this for and, I, and it is really it is really some days are really complicated in, in the discussions that you end up having I mean in terms of you know what is the best format for um, you know, a particular type of data to go into an app and then be amplified to another app. And I, I think that, you know, 
with, with the world as it is right now, there is plenty of opportunity to, to lose sight of, you know, what we're doing this for. But I think the really exciting part, as I mentioned earlier, was, you know, the, we are starting to really appraise, I think, collectively, you know, what we what we do and how we do it, because we've been forced to sit up and think, you know, whether that's by our own kind of, you know, circumstances changing or, or circumstances being forced upon us, you know, we are having to, um, you know, adapt. And I think that's a great opportunity. Great to hear from uh, Tom at Passenger there. And uh, we heard um, in a previous podcast as well, I think it was the last time from our integrated and smart travel director, Jeremy Acklam, all about our work on integrated and smart ticketing across the north. So if that kind of thing floats your boat, if you want to find out more, go back and find that episode as well. And stay tuned for all the news from um, IST over the coming months, because again, as we've uh, been saying, as more and more people go back to using public transport, it's going to be super important that they have information at their fingertips, that they know all about the, the latest timetables and, and fares and ticketing information. So um, a really interesting area of work. Finally then, Stephen, um, it, it may be December. Um, you think you're ramping down for, for Christmas, but actually we've got one more thing to go. Um, it's the Transport for the North annual conference. Yeah. It would have happened earlier on in the year. And uh, yeah, the big old C word got in the way. So here we are. We're sneaking it in just before Christmas. Uh, tell us all about it. When's it taking place? How does it work? Who's going to be there? Where do you get your tickets from? Yeah, so I think, um, yeah, I think it's, it's we, we were originally meant to do this at the beginning of the year, our early, our early spring, and then obviously that wasn't going to happen. So we wanted to do it in the summer, that wasn't going to happen. Then we wanted to do a kind of a half and half event, that wasn't going to happen, but we wanted to return that annual aspect. Uh, so, so to do that, we had, we had to get it in 2020, so we're going to do it uh, with just a couple of weeks to spare. Uh, so it's going to happen on the 14th of December, uh, Monday the 14th of December. It'll run through about 10.30 until 2pm, so quite a bit of a shorter one with it being a virtual one. won't take up too much of, of people's day. We are, you know, we're staring at screens long enough anyway. Um, but yeah, we've got a really, really, really good lineup so far. So it'll be opened by uh, by Mayor Andy Burnham. Um, we've also got uh, the HS2 and um, NPR Minister Andrew Stevens to speak and our Chair John Cridland. We've got a wide variety of our board members uh, covering a number of discussions looking at decarbonisation, the economic recovery, uh, passenger focus, uh, business priorities. You know, there's quite a lot going on in terms of breakouts. And then um, and then we've also got a nice closing plenary with, uh, with Chris Boardman as well. So we wanted to try, well, obviously we're always aware that, you know, with a conference, especially one that you've kind of trimmed down to a half one, you know, you're not going to be able to cover everything. But hopefully with our panellists that we've got, um, should be no stone left unturned, at least in terms of making sure that it's acknowledged. But uh, yeah, because there's lots of other stuff we potentially want to go down, you know, with the supply chain type of stuff, all of that kind of more detailed stuff that we know that needs to be, you know, needs to be looked at if we're going to deliver the amount of investment that we're asking for. Um, but no, it should be it should be a really really good conference. So if you head over to uh, the Transport for North website, there's a specific conference page on there that's got all of the details uh, and a link through to the Eventbrite section where you can where you can register to join. It's free. It is free. Yes, yes. Yeah. I forgot to mention that it's always free. <laughs> just just like the podcast. <laughs> but uh, no, it's yeah, it's it's a free event. Um, so yeah, so please uh, please feel free to. To go along and sign up. We've not. We're, we're, the tickets are flying out, so there's not actually that many left now. 
Um, but uh, but yeah, if you wanted to get along and make sure you get yourself registered, it should be a good day. Uh, but for those who do miss out, we will try and get um, get the sessions put up afterwards as well, so you can watch back just in case you don't get to see them. Perfect. Well, I think that would be a really great way to um, finish off the year. Um, it'll definitely kind of keep you busy right up until uh, until just before Christmas. So, uh, yeah, we look forward to uh, tuning in for that. Um, and you forgot to mention a key part of the conference is that we'll be doing a live podcast recording at lunchtime. We will. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it doesn't pass. Yeah. It passes with no stone left unturned. We wanted to make sure that, uh, that Freight in particular got, <laughs> got, got some. Yeah, ab absolutely. I think we've got a couple of TFN guests talking about um, freight and decarbonisation and our um, modelling work, I think, in particular yeah. with that. So that's going to be um, a really interesting, a uh, really interesting um, and throughout the conference, you know, people will be able to, to submit their questions to, to the various panels and to the podcast as well. So do um, do if you're going to attend, um, come along and, and get involved. Let us know your thoughts and, and send through your questions for the panellists. As Stephen says, uh, head to transportforthenorth.com. There's a, a conference page on the website there and you'll be able to head through to the uh, Eventbrite and get your ticket. Um, so I guess we best leave it there then, Stephen. You can go off and um, and crack on with with getting all this conference organised and and make it brilliant. Thank you everybody for joining us. Please do remember to subscribe so that you never miss an episode of the podcast. And don't forget to keep in touch with us on our social media channels. That's the best way to stay up to date on a day by day basis with everything that's happening on transport in the north head over to Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram and YouTube. I never mentioned YouTube, but we've got some really great videos on YouTube. So if you like to um, if you like to have things in that way, head over there. Search for Transport for the North on any of those social media channels and you will find us. Also remember to sign up for our weekly All Points North newsletter. You can do that by finding the box at the bottom of the uh, of the homepage on the website. Pop your email address in there and every week we will bring you a selection of our top stories. That's it then. Until next time, um, Stephen, we will uh speak again before Christmas I know uh, and like I say you'll be very busy putting the uh, the final touches on the conference so um, thank you so much for joining me again today. No problem thank you. Thanks everybody see you again soon. Thanks for listening to the Transport for the North podcast don't forget you can subscribe on Spotify and SoundCloud so you never miss an episode you can find us on Twitter LinkedIn and Facebook for all our latest updates and join us on our website where you can find all the latest news and sign up to our All Points North newsletter.